It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight abba singing about money and more money yesterday officially kicked off president biden's re-election and a lot of experts predict that uh, this upcoming presidential election especially if you consider the u.s senate and congressional elections beneath it will be the most costly ever the most costly that we've ever had in the history of the republic even more costly than the last one which was the most costly ever and if you think about it that's so strange because the presidential election anyway is going to come down to probably four states and not terribly large states probably georgia arizona nevada and um you know arizona so I mean, to think that we're going to spend literally billions of dollars essentially trying to persuade voters in four states to choose between Biden and Trump, it's just, on the one level, absolute lunacy. The other interesting thing that I heard from a lot of people, and this has been reflected in some polling, is that how come we can't have a better choice than Biden and Trump? A lot of Democrats don't want Biden to be the nominee. A lot of Republicans don't want Trump to be the nominee. And a lot of independents are frustrated that this is what we're likely going to be ending up with. So I really love looking at ways not to replace Biden, not to replace Trump, but to replace the system that has created Biden and Trump. And I think... Until we make some fundamental reforms to the political structure and how candidates are selected and how campaigns are conducted, then we're just going to keep ending up with candidates that people feel are at best mediocre. So it struck me as an opportune time to revisit one of the more fascinating campaign finance proposals that we've heard about in some time. It's called uh, Democracy Dollars. And the man who is uh, pushing that all over the country is uh, Dr. Dan McMillan, political expert, former professor, former prosecutor, also the author of a terrific book, How Could This Happen? Explaining the Holocaust. Dan, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's so great to see you again, Frank. Dan, uh, before we talk about democracy dollars and its place in uh, society today, uh, last time you were here, we were talking about the Holocaust. This this week, it is the 75th anniversary of the state of Israel. And uh, just remind people, if you can, 
how the Holocaust led to, at least in part, the formation of the state of Israel. Well, I think that I think that it did a lot to sort of neutralize diplomatic opposition, you know, to founding the Jewish state. Uh, it also, you know, the state of Israel was was I think strengthened uh, militarily and otherwise by uh, so many Jewish refugees from Europe who said. Now we really have to get out of Europe. We need our own country. So I think those played a role. A lot of folks talk about the refugee crisis that went on uh, during Nazi Germany and America's role in that situation. And a friend of mine who lives in Israel, she pointed out to me recently, and I don't know that I fully realize this, that today there's really no such thing as a Jewish refugee because of Israel and that Israel will welcome Jews from all over the planet. So does the fact that Israel exists uh, obviate the kind of refugee crisis that we saw in the 30s and 40s. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and I do want to recommend how could this happen. Uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, listeners who have uh, either heard me talk about the book or heard our previous conversations and then uh, gone out and gotten the book and overwhelmingly, uh, almost to a person, all of them have said they found it really helpful. So I'll recommend it again. How could this happen? Well, bless Explaining you, Thank the you Holocaust, very much. Yeah. Uh, by Dan McMillan. Now, uh, let us talk about uh, what is what Democracy Dollars is. Now, for folks that did not hear our initial conversation about this, um, well, before we get into what it is, okay. what's the problem with campaign finance in this country today? The, the problem, Frank, is that our government is for sale to hide all the campaign donors, and this is not government by the people. And it's been going on for decades, but in a way, the problem has kind of skyrocketed off the charts uh, in the last 10 years and especially just since 2016. I mean the the cost of the federal elections, the amount of money spent to buy influence in Washington by helping candidates um, more than doubled in constant inflation-adjusted dollars from – 2016 to 2020, from seven billion to 14.4 billion, um, and all th- all three of the last three cycles, you know, 18, 20, and 22, shattered fundraising and spending records from before. And in a way, you could say that the the money problem has become more more than twice as grave as it was only six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, the I guess another way of putting it is. You know, you can't mount a serious campaign, like, say, to get into the House of Representatives. I think it's hard to do that with less than $2 million. For the Senate, the minimum price of admission is $10 million. Uh, Campaigns of 20, 30, 40 million are are far more common. The White House, uh, I think it's a cool billion, you know, as (laughs) it's kind of almost the ante, you know, to get into the game. And what it means is that, you know, where does this money come from? It doesn't come from me. Uh, I don't think it comes from you. It doesn't come from most of the people in our audience. It comes from a small number of Americans, the kind of people who can write checks for 50000 100000 half a million, and so forth. And and really, that's something that I don't think gets talked about enough because those same entities that are in positions to raise large amounts of money or to write checks for large amounts of money, they also control a lot of the advertising on television, radio. They own a lot of the newspapers. That's right. And uh, they control a lot of the narrative in this country. They fund a lot of the think tanks. So unless you're an enlightened, wealthy philanthropist, you really – are going to do very well in the system as it exists now. And and folks always wonder, well, gee, why do politicians that champion this issue or that issue their whole careers, 
why do they take money from those same special interests that they're going to be regulating and oftentimes uh, change their tune on that sort of a thing? I mean, one example, and this is bipartisan, but Hillary Clinton was a champion of uh, socialized medicine. Now, you could have a discussion about whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. Then when she was in the Senate, she became the largest recipient of donations from the healthcare industry. All of a sudden, when she was in the Senate, you didn't hear a word about socialized right. healthcare. You could say the same thing about uh, Obama. You could say the same thing about Trump. Whoever your favorite politician is, chances are they've changed their tune because they're beholden, at least in some respect, to special interests. So now that folks have an idea of what the problem okay. is, what is your proposal? So it's it's an idea that's been out there, for, you know, it was proposed by a couple of really smart guys at Yale Law School. Um, the, the concept is wonderfully straightforward. You know, our problem is that the only people who've got any say in our politics anymore are big donors. So we can address this problem by making ourselves the donors. And the way this would work in practice uh, for every federal election cycle, uh, the federal government would give each of us, each registered voter, an online account of campaign cash. You can't take the money out and spend it, but you go online to your account and assign these democracy dollars to the candidates you want to support. And suddenly, when they get to Washington, uh, politicians will keep doing what they're doing now, taking care of their donors. Only if we're the donors, they take care of us the way, you know, it's supposed to be under our constitution, you know, government by the people. Uh, it's been tried. It's not just a theory. They've been using it for city elections in Seattle since uh, 2017. It's worked very well had good results, and uh, and it's building momentum all across the country at the local and state level. A lot of my particular effort, my organization is focusing on the federal level, a level although I'm also involved in work in New Hampshire, but um, it was passed by ballot initiative in Portland, Maine, Oakland, California. Last year, it's uh, efforts underway in several cities around the country. Looks like uh, democracy dollars for state elections in Minnesota is headed for easy passage, and there's been an effort in New Hampshire as oh, well. So this is uh, catching momentum in a, a lot of different places around the country. It is. It is. And it's interesting. It's not a coordinated central movement, but it's all these different local groups are all kind of seeing the same thing. We got to, you know, if we, you, whoever pays the piper calls the tune. We want to call the tune in government. Well, we got to pay the piper. Now, I noticed in several of the places that you just referenced, uh, Oakland, Seattle, uh, Minnesota, they all tend to be pretty blue places. New Hampshire, not so much. Um, is this something that only Democrats favor because there's a perception that it will benefit Democrats? I'm not absolutely not at all. I mean, that's one of the things I've found because uh, I've, I've done a lot of media appearances, mostly on conservative talk radio, I've gotten a very enthusiastic response. Um, I don't know why historically it's sort of been Democratic politicians who've made a little more noise about this, about money. But the reality is this is a completely bipartisan problem. You know, both parties, I mean, you mentioned the Clinton example, are up to their necks in this money. No politician of either party can lead on this. Uh, and the thing is that Americans, uh, most Americans, I think, on both sides of the aisle are, are fed up. With politics as usual, are you know want to change, want politicians to listen to us and serve us and and give us what we need, and so I see a lot of support. I'm getting a lot of traction among Republicans, and this is can be one of those rare issues where Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Uh, that could be unifying. I mean, the, the um, way this would work in practice, let's say I'm interested in the presidential election and I don't necessarily have a lot of money to make campaign contributions or things of that nature, but I'm very interested in the, in the election. I would then have essentially a voucher that would be paid for by the federal government, That's presumably, right. and then I can use that voucher to make a campaign donation to Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Robert Kennedy, Nikki Haley, whoever I want. Yeah. Okay. And um, that is pretty much the model in in Seattle as well. There's been a lot of concern of late about something called dark money, not disclosing donors, having big donors, special interests donate directly to these super PACs who don't have to disclose their donors, or in some cases, even 501c4 nonprofits that act very political. Would this proposal do anything to deal with the problem with dark money? Um, Not directly and immediately, but the thing is that once – Voters see that politi- you know, candidates have a large pool of money controlled by us to fund their campaigns. Um, a candidate who benefits from dark money or tex- takes corporate money, any other kind of private money in large amounts, um, their opponent's going to say, well, I want to serve you. I fund my campaign with democracy dollars. My opponent would rather be a stooge for big pharma or – you know, for these, uh, for these, you know, these organizations who take donors, we don't even know who the donors are, and and one part of that, that, and again, because none of this has to be reported, we don't know how big it is, is that for you know that foreign donors can absolutely contribute a lot of money to influence our our elections, and we have we don't even we they're not even required to disclose it. We don't even know how much that is. Uh, Let me raise uh, something with you that was written by Ethan Blevins, who uh, wrote an op-ed in The Hill when Senator Kirsten Gillibrand proposed something like this. He's an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation, which I I think is sort of a conservative legal uh, activist organization. He says that the track record and the experiment in Seattle – has largely been a failure. He says that it's been um, expensive and it has made no difference in political outcomes. He says that uh, the city raised $6 million in property tax dollars for the program and they managed to blow $2.2 million in just administrative and Im- implementation costs at all- alone and only about $1 million of the $6 million raised actually went to vouchers and the city dumped more money into administrative costs than campaign funding. He said it's a stunning example of government waste, but he said that's not the worst part. He says that the data demonstrates that this didn't fulfill any of the voucher program's goals. The program was supposed to broaden political participation, but it didn't. According to him, only 4% of the vouchers issued were actually used, and the people that used it tended to be white, wealthy, and already politically engaged. And he said, if anything, the program only strengthened the participation of these already powerful groups. What do you say to those criticisms, any or all of them? Well, I think, you know, the administrative costs is an issue because they've 
In Seattle, they've only been using paper vouchers. Uh, paper vouchers are necessary for people who don't have computers, but the more efficient way to distribute this money and I think get higher participation is uh, a website and online, you know, in addition to the paper. And the new systems that are popping up are combining the two. Uh, so he has a valid point with the administration, but to say that it hasn't had an impact, I don't know where he's getting his information. I'll just give you one uh, point, uh, case in point. You know, in 2018, Jeff Bezos and some of his cronies decided they wanted to buy a city council that was more to their liking. There were mm. seven council races. They put an unprecedented $1.5 million into these city council races, uh, and it totally backfired. Everyone in the city, their awareness was raised by these democracy dollars uh, system, and um, candidates that took democracy dollars, I think six out of seven won Almost all, all but one of Bezos's candidates went down to defeat. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and the participation actually has broadened beyond. I don't know. You know what do they say about statistics? You know, figures lie right. because liars figure. You know, <laughs> uh, people are just changing. We're talking with Dan McMillan. He leads the uh, say, say he leads a group called Save Democracy in America, which is a nonpartisan campaign to get big money out of politics. By the way, if people are interested in learning more, uh, they can go to savedemocracyinamerica.org. dot org. Thank you very much. That's right. Right. Yeah. Savedemocracyinamerica.org. dot org. All right. Um, I asked uh, people that are much smarter than I am uh, across the political spectrum, left wing, right wing, center, to come up with some problems for this this uh, proposal. Thank you. Right? Good. And but, I mean, you only found like three people, Frank. Well, <laughs> smarter than you? Come on. <laughs> please. Uh, I don't you, know anyone smarter than you, please, Frank. You throw a dart, you find somebody smarter <laughs> than me. Um, yeah. But And I got, I got dozens of... Okay, of good. questions. Let's so bring it on. I'm only going to bring up three with you. But okay. what I'd like to do, if you're willing, next week, you got to come back and I'd love to do a full hour in a podcast exclusive with awesome. you and that we can get into the nitty gritty of this, because um, I think they raised some good points. But okay. I really want I really want to embrace this. But uh, just to give folks a uh, an idea of where we are status wise at this point. Where are we legislatively with this actually happening? Has anybody in Congress proposed it, or is that still a ways away? There, there was a, a good workable bill uh, that was drafted by Rokana's staff in 2018, introduced um, a Democracy Dollars Act, and it's it's not a bad basis for discussion for going forward. That said, you know, nothing's really going to happen in Washington. Um, nothing's going to come from Washington. They're all too... Everyone, everyone in politics, no matter how well-intentioned, they are so trapped in dependence on their donors, and especially the cost has skyrocketed, they can't lead in the money issue. So it's got to come from us, and leadership has to come from people outside the system, people like me and, and hundreds, you know, thousands all around the country working at the state or local level. Uh, so – I don't even try to talk to politicians or get them on my side. They're useless. You're going right to the people and trying to win the people. We're going to the people. And one of the things that's so great about this is the way that it directly empowers us. Because one of the worst things that's happened in our country, Frank, is here we are, the, 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 the nation that invented government by the people. And yet we're like shut out of the action. You know, it's the conversation is between politicians right. and donors. It's, it's very frustrating. And 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 yet what democracy dollars does is, well, okay, money's power in American politics. Here is your chunk of power. Right. 
Right. To use. Okay. All right. So, this right. is something that a uh, former um, politician, former Democratic politician raised. This is what he said. We gave people bucks they didn't ask for during COVID, and people used them to pump up GameStop. Making politics like a casino with free trips, free chips doesn't make it more serious. Also, isn't democracy more small-D democratic than ever before? Look at people like AOC and Bernie Sanders. Um, what do you say to that? Wow, that is so messed up on so many levels. I don't want to begin. <laughs> this because a former Democratic politician. I think, yeah. he's, I think he's still trying to justify his misdeeds. Uh, well, first of all, Sanders and you know AOC, these are the exceptions who prove the rule. Um, and they can't, there's only, I mean, there is only so much, um, I mean, they have done well with small dollar donations from private individuals, but, you know, most people cannot don't have enough money lying around to give cash to politicians. So by itself in the current system, um, you don't have enough small dollar money for um, for those people to get. I mean, to say that the system has small D democratic become has become more small D democratic is just preposterous, you know. Um, but let me um, what was it about the people spending the money wisely? Right. Well, um here you're giving people money specifically to spend on politics, and you're giving them a reason to inform themselves. And you're also putting politicians in a position where they need to go to the donors and ask the donors, not just for their – ask the voters not just for their vote, but for something they need a lot more importantly than their vote, namely the cash without which they can't. All right. I'm going to save the rest of these for our conversation next week. If people want to hear the sequel to this, they can um, subscribe to my podcast, Frank Morano Interviews and More. And there's going to be a podcast exclusive. You're not going to be able to hear it on the radio. Frank Morano Interviews and More. Subscribe on iTunes or anywhere else. You can also go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com. And if you have questions, you can email me and uh, I will try to get to them in the course of that podcast. My email is frank at redapple. Apple uh, com, and you can also uh, go and check out uh, Dan McMillan's website, Save Democracy in America.org. Dan, it's always a treat to see you. Thank nice you. Nice to see you, Frank. All right. 800-848-9222. Any subject is fair game. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.